Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Instead uh, of our classes this morning, we're meeting all together to hear from uh, a missionary, a missionary family, really, going to um, Colombia. And we're thankful to have uh, Michael Dennis and family here visiting today. Michael's going to be speaking with us uh, over the next hour about his mission. Are you guys hearing that feedback? Must be this laptop. Probably. Um, Michael's a graduate of the Master's Seminary. He actually went to school with Frank and uh, was in many classes. I don't know who made the better grade, but we won't ask about GPA or anything like that. Um, But he knew Frank from seminary, and uh, he's supported our... uh, His mission sending agency is Grace Ministries International, a sending agency out of Grace Church in California, John MacArthur's Church. And so we invited Michael to come and speak with us as elders and to speak with you as a church to see if we might be able to support him, if we might be able to help him in this mission of planting churches and training up church planters in Colombia. Uh, it seems like, as I said in my email, that uh, the Lord is bringing us missionaries that are going to Latin America. This is our third in less than a year. So uh, just how the Lord has lined it up. And so uh, let me pray, and then we want to hear from Michael about what they're going to do in Cali, Colombia. Lord, we do thank you that you're calling people to go, that you're calling people to take your gospel to the world, that you're training up uh, men to preach and lead churches, and they're going to other places around the world to train up men to preach and lead churches, and that continues. We know that the true church is never snuffed out. The true church is always existing in the world somewhere. But we also know there are many areas of the world that need the gospel. And they need to know, even believers in those countries, how the gospel applies to their everyday life. So I pray that you would um, help us to think more about missions as a church. Help us to be very zealous for missions. uh, Very much desirous to help many churches be planted around the world. We do pray for Michael and his family as they go next year to Columbia. Protect them, watch over them, uh, help them to make your name known, to make the name of Christ and the good news known to people who really need it, people who are lost. So I pray that you would bless our time this morning as we hear from him and that we might be encouraged to send out more and to help send out more missionaries around the world. We pray this in the name of your precious son. Amen. Can you all hear me? All right, so everyone needs to repeat after me. I'm going to make sure that this church is going to be a missionary-creating church. Everyone repeat after me. I will never be a missionary. Okay, good. Now, some of you are going to look back on this moment in a couple years, and you're going to say, I I would never do this, and now here I am. Because that's pretty much how it was for us. We, we thought, oh, we would never be missionaries. We would never be pastors. And here we are now pastors and being missionaries and um, so it's a pleasure to be here thank you guys so much for having us and um, so as he mentioned we are going to Cali Colombia which if you're like me I'd never even heard of this city uh, in Colombia it is a city of about two and a half to three million people it's the second or third largest city in Colombia depending on who's counting that day I guess between them and Medellin but um, most people only know Cali because they say, oh, the Cali cartel. I mean, that's pretty much why everybody knows because that's most, what most people think of when they think of Colombia is unfortunately the drug trade back in the early days. So um, 
I want to start off by saying that a couple months ago, we were at Grace Church, and there was a, Paul Washer came into town, and he was at a little missionary, he was giving a little luncheon for missionaries or potential missionaries, and, and I don't know if you know that he is the head of a missions agency, and so he's just talking about different things, missions, uh, this and that, and then he said, there was a Q&A, and he, and he raised, he said, anyone have any questions, and uh, I had my hand raised, and I was going to ask him, where do you, as someone who has a kind of a global look on the missions world, where do you see God working? That was going to be my question, but another guy raised his hand who was going to be a potential missionary, and he said, how do you know where to go? Like, if let's say I'm interested in missions, I'm open to missions. Where in the world, how do you know where to go? And, and Paul Washer's response I thought was really interesting. He said, well, you either go, one, to somewhere where the church is really, really weak, and then you go and you build up the church and you strengthen the church in that area. He said, or the second thing is you, you go somewhere where you see that God is already doing an amazing work. And then you just go and participate in that work. And then he, the next sentence out of his mouth was, so for example, Columbia. And he said, what we're seeing in Columbia right now is almost like a, it's like a modern day reformation. And, and I was like, lowered my hand and, and was just really encouraged by that and looked at my wife sitting next to me and said like that's good news you know and really it wasn't good news because that was the first time I'd ever heard that or thought that but it was good news because it was that somebody else saw that other than me and when I first came to seminary a guy told me you know there's actually like a modern day reformation going on in the Spanish in the Spanish world and I thought, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, the Reformation, you know, in the 1500s never actually reached uh, the Spanish world at all. And I didn't realize that because at that point I didn't know much church history. Now, you guys are learning church history um, in the, or have been over the last couple of weeks. Or, and, and so I was, I, was, I was like, well, that's interesting. Why would the Reformation never have happened? So I went and looked it up, and it was because while the, while the Reformation was happening in Europe— there was the Counter-Reformation. Spain, which was really not, was super, super Catholic and never really got touched by the Reformation, they were launching the Counter-Reformation. And that was kind of at the same time that Spain was sending out people like Columbus and Cortez and all these people to explore the New World. And when they would come and they would take over the Aztecs and the Incas in South America, once they conquered these people groups, then they would send a whole bunch of Catholic missionaries to go and, and basically force convert these people. And so that's really why we now see that the Spanish world is, for one, Spanish-speaking and also super Catholic, is they're really a result of the counter-reformation, the anti-gospel, if you will. And so for the last 500 years, you've seen the Spanish world really just kind of continue down that, that road. But what's amazing is as the West... And, and maybe in Texas, you're not seeing it so much. I still live in California, so it's like I'm more acutely aware of it. But we, there's no denying that the West is in a general move against God, against Christianity. Even in Texas, you can see that. And, it, and you go, well, okay, here's this, here's this move that the West is like abandoning God, it seems. And it's so encouraging to me to look and say, God is not going to stop building his church just because the U.S. is losing its mind. No, God will always build his church. And if it's not here, he'll do it somewhere else. And he is doing it here. People are still being saved and good churches are still being planted even in the U.S. But it's really happening in almost like this weird supernatural 
hyped up momentum way in the Spanish-speaking world because they've never had it. And the people are now becoming very, very hungry for sound teaching. So when you said it's interesting that we have three Spanish people or three Spanish world people who are interested in missions, it may be because of this, because God is doing a particular work in the Spanish world, it seems, which to me is really exciting because, um, I mean, I'm from Arkansas, so I'm, I'm next door. And so in the Bible Belt, we know it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it, you know, 30 minute sermon and then let's get out of here because, you know, we want to beat the lunch lines and everything else. I mean, I, I've, that's been my entire life. So to see, to see the kind of hunger and, and um, you know, you preach for two hours and they're going to say, well, why are you stopping? And you're going, oh, because I went an hour and a half longer than I thought you wanted me to tell you. Know? So it's, there are people who are so hungry to hear the word and, and actually, I, we met with some guys from Ligonier, which is R.C. Sproul's ministry, uh, I think it was in 2020, and they mentioned to us, we're having to create an entire Spanish division of our ministry because the demand has been so amazing in Central and South America that we're taking everything, translating into Spanish, and they're having a, a team of guys going around and talking to people, and they say everywhere they're going in South America, it's the same thing. People are wanting sound teaching, they're wanting to grow, but the sad thing is, and really why we're going to Colombia, is that there's just not much down there. Um, in the city, like I mentioned, the city of Cali is about two and a half, three million people. Before, so I'm, real quick footnote, I'm going to plant this church with another person, another TMS graduate who is a Colombian guy. His name is Santiago. I'll refer to him from here on as Santi. So if I say Santi, you'll just know that that's what I'm talking about. But he actually left April 1st and moved back to Columbia. We met while we were in seminary. He is, uh, the first service was Easter Sunday of this year. And there was a group of about 25 people that had been meeting for two years in a Bible study. And now in, uh, as of, and I'll show you some pictures of this in a minute. But um, as of this week, they, I think they have over 100 adults and over like 25 kids in a span of five months. So it's been um, it's been this amazing growth in a very short time because in the city of Cali, before this church got planted, there was one church in the entire city that was either not prosperity gospel uh, or, or super hyper charismatic or Catholic. And, the, and there, there, one, I say one church that's decent. And it was a Reformed Presbyterian church and it had about 100 people at it. So it's, it's almost unfathomable for us where there's a church on every corner to think, if you were an, an actual Christian in Cali, Colombia, where in the world do you even go to church? Like, that's hard for us to, to imagine. And so when these people found out that Santi was coming, they just couldn't contain themselves. And they said, well, when are you getting here? I've got family members. I've got all these people that we want to bring. And, and it's because they've had nowhere to go. So even the people who were true believers have been stuck in charismatic churches and all these different things over the years because there's been nowhere else to go. And so now that there is a good biblical church that's focused on expository preaching and things like that, well, they're now saying, well, we're coming. And not only that, we're inviting our friends. So this growth, I mean, I actually knew all 25 people uh, that were meeting because I helped Santi establish that little Bible study back in 2019. Well, now he told me, you know, I, I did a Zoom call recently and I didn't know hardly anybody. So like 75% of the church I've never met. Um, and I actually told uh, Pastor Michael that at Expositorist Conference in September, I had a lady, was introduced to a lady and 
you know, I'd never seen this lady before, and she came up to me, and she looked at me. She was a really short lady, and she said, you are my pastor. And I said, what? <laughs> Who are you? You know, and, and she said, you are my pastor. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And then she said, I came to this conference from Cali. I go to the church that you're going to be the pastor of. And my heart immediately swelled with, the, with love and affection for this lady who I've never met, knowing that, like, oh, technically I'm, like, going to be pastoring your, and shepherding your soul, but I've never met you because I haven't met 75% of the people that are there. So it's just kind of an interesting reality, but I actually, um, I actually, well, what was I going to say? I, I knew, well, I can't remember what my mind just, it just left, so we'll, we'll move on from there, but um, so this, we're, we're excited. We're moving there actually January 3rd. We bought our one-way tickets this week. So we are going to be moving there January 3rd. Um, and we are going to be, what we're going to be doing is he mentioned the, the, the mission's goal of planting churches and things like that. So I'll go through a little bit of this. So it's not, um, forgive my PC. So this is a picture of Cali. And uh, I think it was Joey who had spent some time in Brazil. They actually have their own Jesus statue which as someone said to me, which means they don't actually need us because they've already got Jesus looking over their city, but that's very untrue. They definitely need us. Um, but this, they've got their own little Jesus statue, and this is just a, an overview of the city. But um, this is my family. So I've got five children, two of which are here today, the two, the two babies. Um, but I've got Aiden, who is the oldest, uh, the oldest girl, then Beniah, Judah, Maggie, and then Abigail, who are here, and then my, my lovely wife, Beth, who is sitting on the front row. Uh, and as, as Michael mentioned, we are, um, we are going through GMI. We're going through Grace Community Church. And you'll notice I have the ACBC logo on there because one of the things that, we, that I particularly will be focusing on, and Frank can appreciate this, is that we will be, I will be really focusing on the counseling aspect of things. And... I put the verse on there, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, because really this is the way we're approaching this ministry, is the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So when we go, I've, been, I've spent the last four years at TMS studying and, and equipping myself with sound teaching and all that, and now the goal is to go and take it to them, not just to data dump on them, but to actually help them to raise up this, or to, to ex ex receive the information and then be able to go help others. So even in the idea of church planting, we're having the idea of, okay, let's plant a solid biblical church that can then go plant other biblical churches. We're not going there to just go and uh, you know, relieve the poverty of Columbia. That's not our mission. Our mission is to go and, and find the elect of God that he already has in Colombia and who, who are just waiting to hear the gospel so that they can come to Christ, you know, so, and, and, and become part of a local body and glorify his name. And you've probably heard the quote by John Piper, missions exist because worship doesn't. And, and if you haven't heard that quote, the idea is essentially, we don't stand up here and say, Hey, you need to evangelize. Hey, you need to be a missionary. You just need to do this as it's some command. We, we stand up here and we say, the, mo the, the true motivation for doing missions and evangelism and things like that is because the God who saved us, the God who created everything and is the master of the universe, 
who actually is worthy of every bit of glory that exists, is being robbed of his glory by every single human being on this planet that does not name him as Lord. So every single breath that every single Colombian, apart from Christ, is taking is in some way an offense against God if they're, if they're not in Christ because they're robbing him of the glory that he deserves. And so really what drives someone to missions, what drives someone to even evangelizing your neighbor is a greater love and a greater zeal for God's glory where we want to see the God who has saved us who for the first time in our salvation we actually see and are, are giving him the glory that he deserves. We don't want him to be robbed of the glory that he deserves. We don't want Colombians to be robbing God of the glory he deserves. Because he deserves the, the glory in Colombia just as he does here. And so, you know, when we talk about proclaiming the word, and, 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 um, and I'll talk a little bit a little more about Cali, but it's, it's, as we talk about proclaiming the word, that's the, that's the idea that we want to have in mind, is that we are going to build a church, to plant a church, to raise up people who will begin to give God the glory that he deserves. Not just in coming to Christ, but also in glorifying Christ in every area of their life, which really, if you want to talk about biblical counseling, some people get caught up on that word. You could just call it biblical discipleship. When you think about counseling, it's how can I take this person and show them, as Pastor Michael even said in his prayer, how can you glorify God in every area of your life? And why do people come to counseling? It's because usually there's some area of their life where God is not being glorified and it's ended in ruin. Now, if you're not glorifying God in your marriage, your marriage will suffer. If you're not glorifying God in your parenting, your family will suffer. If you're not glorifying God in your personal life, then I might be enslaved to pornography or something else. And these people come and they say, we want help and we don't, know, we, we don't know how to get out of the rut we're in or whatever it is. I'm depressed and I don't know, I don't know what to do. And all biblical counseling is, is, well then let me show you through what the word says and the principles therein, how can you glorify God in the midst of your depression even if your feelings never change? It's not a, and most people come to counseling and they say, well, I just want to be fixed fix my marriage, fix my counseling. That's a terrible goal, by the way. Your goal is, I want to glorify God in my marriage. I want to glorify God in my parenting. I want to glorify God in the midst of my depression or a spouse who abandoned me or whatever. I want to glorify God whatever happens. And biblical counseling is just helping people through the scriptures to see how can you do that? Because in the midst of it, let's be honest, most of the time we're just saying, get me out of this trial, rather than saying, how can I glorify God in the midst of this trial? So that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I like. I get fired up doing that because when I begin to see on a heart level and I begin to see how the word of God truly applies to every area of life, it's not just, yes, it saved me and now it's me going on and living my life which is basically my view, was my view for a long time. It's God who saves me, and that's up to me to keep myself in his good favor. It's no, it's, it's the, the word of God applies to all this stuff, and it's not just a list of rules to obey. It is true life being offered to us, ultimately for God's glory. And so going down there, 
And so we look at Colossians 1.28, and you don't have to turn there, but it says Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man, oh, my mind just went blank, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's the goal. We want to go to Columbia, and we want to present people complete in Christ. And when you combine it with Ephesians 4, you want to, as a pastor, you want to raise up people and you want to equip them for the work of service so that the body may be mature, so that they may come to the maturity that Christ desires, and they may give him the glory through that process, right? That's what we're all, that's, that's my job as a pastor is to equip the saints. And really, we look at that word in ad- admonishing one another, we, you know, we, or admonishing, we, we proclaim him admonishing one another and teaching them. And obviously teaching is preaching the word of God and things like that. But the word for admonishment there, which some, you know, I, I, it's, it's, unfortunately I think sometimes the word admonishing for us almost takes this like, oh, I'm getting a rebuke, I'm getting a finger wag. But, but that actually, if you've ever heard of the Nuthetic Counseling Movement, that Nuthetic Counseling, that word for admonishment in the Bible is actually nutheteo. That's where that word came from. So in some ways the word admonishment is, 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 is um, the same as counseling. And so when you, when, again, when you see the word admonishment, it's, it's helping somebody to correct their incorrect view so that they may be helped on the other end. It's not like I'm just finger wagging and, and doing all this. And so we see in the Bible that there is very clearly a pastoral commission to admonish. And you go, okay, well, that's important. Well, here's the problem in Colombia. Pastors don't know how to do this. I mean, I went down there in 2019, and I had a pastor tell me, you know, I've, I've got this couple in my flock that wants to divorce, and I have no idea what to tell them. I think I'm just going to send them to the psychologist. And I said, oh, no, please, don't do that. But he just, the point is, he had no idea what to do. And, and, and sometimes even guys who know their Bible relatively well, they struggle in saying, well, how do I take what's up here and be able to, to really help my people to massage it down into the heart where it really affects every area of their life. And they struggle with that. And some pastors don't know how to use, even use the word that way. And they don't know how to help their people. They don't know how to do, as Hebrews 13, 17 says, shepherd the souls of their, of their sheep. They don't know how to do that. They don't have to care for the souls of their people. Because they really, other than saying like, well, hey, divorce is bad. God hates divorce. Well, yeah, that's true. But that may not necessarily be helping the person realize that, well, the divorce that I'm currently in the process of, I understand it's wrong. I just don't know how to fix it. You know, I don't know how to glorify God in the situation that I'm in. And these guys don't know how to do that. So one of the things that we're planning on doing, kind of of the 10-year plan, so to speak, is to start the church and, and from the beginning equip the local body. How do you guys think about counseling? Because Romans 15, 14, Paul says, I have confidence in you. And he's not talking to pastors here. He's talking to people. He's talking to the people of the church. And in five years, you're just now starting the book of Romans. And in five years, when you get to chapter 15, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear a, a better exposition of this verse than I'm giving right now. But anyway, the idea is that, that Paul is saying, he said, I know that you are able to admonish one another. You're able to counsel one another. This is not something where we go, it's the pastor's job 
to counsel everybody? Well, no. Actually, biblically speaking, it's everybody's job to counsel people biblically. And I'm probably stealing some of Frank's you know, notes here. But, but, it, but that's the idea is that, yeah, that's great that your pastor should be able to, to be doing that for sure. That's one of his pastoral roles. But you also have to know how to do it. And the people in Columbia have to know how to do it. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm just not a counselor. I've heard that a lot of times. Well, I'm just not a counselor. Well, I hate to break it to you. Everybody is a counselor. There's only three things that are going to happen if somebody comes to you. Hey, my marriage is falling apart. My wife and I got in a big fight. Whatever. My kids are acting crazy. Someone, your buddy tells you that. Your, your Bible study you know, member tells you that. Well, in that moment, you don't get to choose whether you're a counselor or not. You just got thrown in the counseling chair, and you're going to either do one of three things. You're going to give them no counsel, and you're just going to stare at them and go, wow, that's bad. You know, that's one option. You could do nothing. The second option is you could give them bad counsel, or the third option is, is you could give them biblical counsel. You don't get a choice whether you're a counselor or not. You, you are made a counselor the second somebody revealed a problem to you. So, again, the same thing with the pastors in Columbia. The pastors don't know how to do it. How much less the people don't know how to do it. And so right now, it's, it's a little interesting, and I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I'm, I'm not really, I'm shooting from the hip here. So I have this presentation, but I'm really just incorporating a lot of stuff. So I'll do a better job of doing this. But um, uh, let's see, where was the, the counseling page? Um, we'll go back to some of these things. Okay, so the counseling, which will be a major emphasis of my ministry. This is me teaching a conference in 2019 on, the, on forgiveness and biblical reconciliation. Uh, and it was a four sessions and, and two, two nights. And, you know, no advertising or anything. And we just rented the up, upstairs. Or we didn't even rent. They, we were just able to use the upstairs of a book, uh, upper room of a bookstore and like had 150 people show up. And, you know, we weren't even there yet. So this was before the church even planted. So I don't know how these people found out about it. But they all came, and there was like 150 people there. And so we're sitting here teaching this on biblical counseling. But I thought I would show you something that's interesting. This is the ACBC map of counselors in America. I didn't count those. I don't know how much it is. The point is, it's a, it's a lot, not even near enough. Obviously, Wyoming and Utah and Nevada, there's a lot of hurting people who have to... No one to help them. But, but you know, it's, it, there's, this is just a representation of this is what the, the ACBC map looks like in North America of certified counselors. It's a lot. Should be a lot more. Okay, so now let's go to the ACBC map of South America. Now, I think I added it up, and I think I have a note on here. In the entire Spanish-speaking world, not not. One, in the entire Spanish-speaking world, there are 15 ACBC certified counselors. Now, that doesn't mean that nobody in the Spanish world is doing biblical counseling. I mean, it just means that there's only 15 people that are AC. It's a good representation, which is 400. And, and in, this, in the South America, which has 430 million people, there are eight. As of January 3rd, there will be nine. Me, will be the, I'll be the ninth one. But then when you zoom in, and actually in South America, you know, there's one in Brazil, so you know, there's, that's not even Spanish. Now, in the, in the entire country of Colombia, which is right here, 
Oh, I do have a map. This is a map of Columbia. In the entire map of Columbia, there is nobody who does anything with counseling. They're actually in, this, in the keto, uh, which is right next to the, the first um, bubble next to Columbia. There is a guy who graduated from TMU, um, and he is trying to establish an ACBC training center in Quito. I think maybe he's done that. But in the entire area of Columbia, there's nobody. To put it in perspective, ACBC recently held a little meeting, and they said the demand in the Spanish world for people to, to teach them counseling and to, you know, it's, it's growing, tremendous, growing tremendously. And they were thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get this ball rolling? Because, you know, in, for some of you guys might know, the ACBC certification is you got to answer all the exam questions. And then you, and after the exam questions, you have to, like, get supervised by a fellow. There are zero fellows in the entire Spanish-speaking world. And so you say, well, these guys, then you have to be supervised to make sure these people are, even know what they're doing and they're doing it well. Well, they, they called every person that they knew in the Spanish world doing counseling, and they called them in, and there was 10 people. And they said, you guys, and I was not there, by the way, because I was a nobody. But what's funny is I had four of my friends that were there, and four of my friends said, and actually in God's providence, the girl who was living with my family at that time is from El Salvador, and she was interning at ACBC. She was there, and all these people said, well, where's Michael Dennis? And they said, well, we don't know who that is. And they said, well, you need to know who he is because he's going to Columbia and he wants to do biblical counseling and that's like a big thing that he wants to do. And so they said, oh, we, we just didn't know who he was because there's not very many people that are doing this. Well, they came, in, they came to L.A. earlier this year and they said, well, we want to meet with you. And I met with them and they said, well, okay, how can we help you to become a fellow? And I was like, oh, that's, I like the sound of that. You know, let's, let's do that. And they said, because right now, we need people to be certifying people in the Spanish world because we've got nobody. And, and you know, how would you feel about doing that? And I said, well, I, I'm definitely open for it. I mean, I, that's, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And they said, and, and you know, and right now, there's not one single person in Colombia that we know of that's doing anything in the entire area of biblical counseling. So you're going to be our guy. I said, oh. That sounds pretty cool. I like that. You know, and they said, well, we'll you know, we want to work with you. And, and here's Callie, by the way, if you, if you can see that. I don't know if you can. Right to the left of the Columbia word. Um, and, and they said, we want you to be our guy in Columbia for ACBC. And we want to help you to establish a training center and, and whatever you need to do and, and be the support for you in, in Columbia. And I said, well, guys, hold on, hold on. Can I at least get there first? And they said, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll let you get there and get adjusted. But just know we've got time, but you're our guy. And I, to me, that was really encouraging because it was like, wow, I'm not even there yet. And God's already opening up doors that I would have never even thought possible. I mean, that would have been like maybe, I, we were talking about the 10-year plan. I would have thought, well, maybe in the future we could maybe do something like that. And wouldn't that be neat? And, 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 and now it's like God's saying, well, that might be something that happens a lot sooner than you think because now the wheels are already starting rolling before we're even there, which has been really encouraging. So going back to the 10-year plan, I didn't forget that, is that the initial focus will be to go and train up the people in Cali. 
There are people within the, the church plant who are saying, we want to know counseling. We want to do that. We really have a heart to do that. We have no idea what we're doing. Um, we would like to be involved. And so uh, the, the first step will be to establish kind of a counseling discipleship environment in the church. I want to I I establish a culture in the church that from the beginning pretty much believes what I just mentioned to you earlier, that it is everybody's job to do this. It's not something where we just say, hey, you got a problem? Go talk to the pastor. No, it's you got a problem? Well, guess what? Like, let's, let's open up our Bibles and see how God would, would counsel us through his word through this process. And how can we all help each other? And then if it gets to be real severe or certain cases, yeah, let's take it to the pasture. But uh, I'm actually talking to Dr. Street, who is uh, the counseling teacher at, uh, at TMS. He at one point told me that after establishing over a period of years that kind of relationship in, or that kind of culture in his church, that really the, most of the counseling situations got resolved before they ever even reached him. Only certain ones ever reached him because it, the culture or the church bought into the idea that it is all our job to counsel. So we need to know what we're doing. We need to know how to apply the word of God to our own hearts, first and foremost, and then and to counsel ourselves with the word of God. And then we also need to be able to say, well, how do I help other people? So that's the first plan. Like Our main focus on the beginning is, is the local church, building of the local church, establishing the local church, things like that. The longer term plan I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, TMAI, the Masters Academy International. Uh, you probably are, but where you go and you're training pastors and you're establishing seminaries, more or less, in these other countries. Well, there is currently not a TMAI in Colombia, but there is one in process. There is another missionary in Bogota, right above the word Colombia, and, and he has been there for, I believe, five years, and he has kind of started the groundwork for uh, the seminary and the TMAI in Colombia, but you have to have, per TMAI rules, you have to have a certain amount of graduates there. You have to have a, a certain amount of healthy biblical churches in, in the country. And really, until the church was planted in April, that, didn't ha that wasn't the case. So now the TMAI is actually officially in submission in the, in the application process, which I think takes a couple years. And so the long-term goal for me would be to, in that TMAI pastoral training, that's just really what that is, that's training pastors, is, is for me to be the teacher of the biblical counseling aspect of that team AI. And because Spanish, I mean, fortunately, the entire continent, except for Brazil, is Spanish-speaking, Really, my goal would be down the road to also be able to assist. There's a TMAI coming in Argentina. There's a TMAI coming in, our, in Ecuador. And actually, by God's providence, the guy, the guy who's the, one of the most involved in biblical counseling in the entire South American world is a 30-minute, or maybe it's a, an hour flight from us in Quito, Ecuador. So we've already talked to him about, you know, how, how can we work together to try to figure out how to get this thing going and so the idea would be then to train pastors because I do not go, I'm not going to Columbia under any delusion that I'm going to try to counsel everybody. First off, I would die. And that would be way, I mean, obviously there's no way that's going to happen. So what I feel passionately about is we need to train these pastors how to be able to shepherd their own flocks and how to train their flocks to shepherd each other. So that goes back to 2 Timothy 2, too. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach these to other men who will be able to teach others also. That's the strategy. That's the goal. That's the, that's the, 
the, uh, well, strategy goal. I, mean, I already said it. So that's how, that's the idea. That's the 10-year plan. And actually, this is, I don't know how this will happen. I do speak Portuguese as well. So I would also hopefully in the future be able to also assist in the Brazil TMAI, which I think is also an application. So um, we'll see how that works. My Portuguese would need a little bit more refining, but that is, I do love Portuguese. So it would be, I think it would be really neat. And because Colombia is right at the top, it's really, it's the, it's the highest country or the top country uh, and it connects Central America, Central America to South America. It's really right in the middle. So even if I was able to go to Mexico, go to Honduras, where there already are TMAIs, or go to Dominican Republic, go to—I mean, it's right in the middle. It's a good place to really be a base for for helping the Spanish-speaking world. So I jokingly say one of my desires would be like to be the John Street of the Spanish-speaking world, but I, that's not really the case. But it's more just—if I'm really honest, Lord, help me to be a useful tool in the Spanish-speaking world for the counseling movement. Because there's other guys doing it. I'm not the only one. And so, and I don't, I don't need the glory. So it's, it's really just helping, helping and being a useful tool. As I mentioned, this kind of reformation movement, I'm not going to be the Martin Luther of the Spanish-speaking world. But if I can just play one tiny part in that, what an, what an amazing privilege that would be to be a useful tool for God's kingdom in the work that he's doing. And, and by extension, you guys can participate in that. You know, most of you guys will probably never go to Colombia or South America, but even from here, you can participate in the work that God is doing. And, and 3 John 8 says, if we participate with these people, we become partakers in their ministry. And that's not a small thing. Um, so going back to, that's kind of the counseling aspect of it, of, uh, I thought I wanted to cover. Uh, and again, in the country of Colombia, well, there's one more thing. In the country of Colombia, 51 million people, there's zero certified counselors. And I don't know of anybody in, in Colombia that even has counseling on their radar. So, I mean, obviously I don't know everybody, but if you're in the sound teaching circles in Colombia, it's a pretty small circle. So if there's, it's not like, oh, there's probably 100 good churches out there and we just don't know them. No, there's probably not. If you don't know them, they're probably not good. Um, so this is the TMAI Columbia. So this is me and Santiago Armel, the guy that I'm going with, and he's already there. I'll be supporting him as like an associate pastor role, uh, doing counseling, evangelism, and outreach. That's the guy in the middle. And the guy on the right is Fernando Jaimez. He is currently in Bogota. He was the one I mentioned that's been there for five years and has been establishing um, the TMAI Center there. So this was actually taken less than a month ago at the Expositories Conference in, in, uh, in LA. So, um, and that's basically what I just told you. So uh, here's one other aspect of, this says, en paz con todos, un estudio sobre el, per el perdón. Okay, so that means in peace, at peace with everyone, a study on forgiveness. And so this actually is a book that I wrote. Not a Eh, that's a liberal term. A booklet that I wrote. It actually was a seminary project where they said, you know, you had to write like a little five-page booklet. But as I got rolling and got investigating this and, and really started looking very deeply in the topic of forgiveness in, um, in, in I'll probably zoom out here so you can see the, the whole thing better. Um, as I started getting into this, my mind was being blown because, again, you know, I've grown up in this like, well, you know, say you're sorry. Sorry. 
you know, and it's like, okay, and then you're done, which is totally not biblical at all. You know, then you start looking at the aspect of, well, what does it mean to truly forgive? What does it truly mean to re- reconcile and deal with conflict and things like that? And really, as I was being, like, my, my, my views were being really transformed biblically in this way, you begin to see, like, wow, there is so many, there's so much unforgiveness at the root of so many problems. And so uh, even though I had to write this five-page thing, a buddy of mine said, well, you teach a conference on forgiveness in Mexico. This was in 2018, I believe. And I said, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and go all in on this little booklet. And I ended up making it like 25 pages full space. So in a booklet form, like 40 or 50. And, and, and the, the reason why I did that is because resources like this are not in the Spanish language. They're just not. I mean, we, we can look in English. We really take for granted the amount of access we have to resources. I mean, like every really, almost every really great book on theology in the last hundred years is probably in English. And you might say, well, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't go to a good church. Yeah, but if you read English, you can order it on Amazon and it'll be there by tomorrow. In the Spanish world, if Amazon is there at all, which it's mostly not, and let's say you don't read English, your library just went from thousands to maybe a couple hundred. And that's a couple hundred. And usually they're not starting off translating the counseling books first. They're usually starting off with, you know, something theological, some systematic theology or something like that. So in the counseling world, there's basically nothing in the Spanish language at all. So one of the things that I wanted to do specifically for the local church, but then hopefully to be used in the TMAIs and to be distributed to the other missionaries in the Spanish-speaking world, is to create more booklets like this and um, just th- so they can be useful tools. And if, as Frank probably knows, when somebody comes to you and they're saying, I'm struggling with bitterness and forgiveness, I can save a lot of time by giving them the booklet and saying, read that and then come back. Because probably a lot of your questions are going to be answered with this. And then also, while I'm doing the counseling session, hey, I want you as a couple to go and read this booklet. And I want you to note 10 things that really jumped out of you about forgiveness. Because there's a lot of bitterness and conflict in between you guys. And yeah, I could spend weeks and weeks talking about these things. But it might be helpful for you guys to go do, because let's be honest, the, the, the hour of counseling is not magic. It's not magic. The change happens in, I don't know how many hours in a week, in the other hours of the week outside that one hour. It's the hours between the sessions that really is where the most transformation takes place. Because it's not a counselor's job to fix you. It's a counselor's job to point you to Christ and then you and your spouse or you and whoever go home and, and, and begin to apply those principles in your life. And so things like this are useful tools to give to them and say, hey, take this home, look it over, read it with your spouse, and, 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 you know, mark it up and see how things are, you know, can, how you can start applying one of these things this week. And again, that stuff's not there now and, and these resources. And so the goal would be to be over time to be able to do this and maybe write one on anger and write one on, I mean, lots of different topics that, again, in English we take for granted. And you might say, well, why don't you just translate them all? Well, you could translate them all. That's, that's another beast in itself. But um, the idea is that when, when you write something in, in, the, in that language, it's, it's, not, it's a little bit better than just being translated into it. But um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the church plant um, because this, to me, I, I've been telling you that it's been growing a ton. And this is really encouraging. What time is it? Oh, I got 13 minutes. Okay. Um, so this is day one, Easter, April 4th. They had 25 people. I think they had 30 people on the first day, and they were meeting at someone's house. I'll blow that up. And they were meeting in, in, the, in the back patio of someone's house. Well, it took them all of two weeks to outgrow this. And so they went and they, they moved into a hotel room. And I'll actually show both of these because this is the, the one on the left is when they first moved into the hotel room, probably three or four weeks in. And the one on the right is just a couple months later. You can see they've had to add a bunch of rows. They've had to add a bunch of people. And every single week, Santi tells me, people are inviting their friends, they're inviting their family, they've done no advertising or anything, and people just keep bringing people. And then he said, and they don't leave. I mean, obviously you don't want them to leave, but they're not leaving. They're coming and they're saying, wow, we've never heard teaching like this. This is amazing. And they're staying. And so I've, I've got some pictures. To, uh, this is the church today. I mentioned it's got over 100 adults and uh, they actually have not done membership yet because right now Santiago is the only elder and I will be the other elder in January. And he said, well, we're going to wait till you get there to do membership. So if someone's not, a, someone doesn't get to be a member, it won't just be like, because I, the one elder, said you can't be one. So I, I think he just really wants to make, make me the bad guy. But um, and that's, I'm okay with that. But yeah, so it's, the idea is, and, but the people are chomping at the bit. They're want, we want to be members. We can't wait to be members. We're so excited to be members of a local church. Again, like think about some of the attitude in America. Uh, do I have to be a member? Do I have to get involved? And these people are going, why can't we be members yet? Why can't we be involved? Like, why can't we be like, uh, they're like so excited because they just want to be a part of it. And they're, I mean, obviously they're getting to be able to come and do different things. But for, like for them, that membership is like so, is so important to them. And so again, here's just more pictures from the church. And just lots of people, and, and it's just growing like a weed. I thought it was going to take probably a year to reach 100, not four months. Um, and because what's happening is all the, every time these guys go to these Spanish-speaking worlds, it will probably happen with Lalo, or East, oh, Ed, what is his real name, Eduardo? I only know him as Lalo. That's bad. He called him Eduardo, and I'm like, who's that? Okay, so Lalo Izquierdo is in, in Mexico. Um, he, it's, it'll probably be the same for him. He'll go down there, and then in, in a year, they'll have 150 people because the people in the, in the Spanish world are just are clamoring for it. This is, oh, that was, went too far. But this is a, um, like their Sunday school hour where they've been doing Fundamentals of the Faith in preparation for uh, the membership class. And uh, there actually is another gringo there who is not me. That's a guy who, who actually was a missionary for a bad organization and he, he's been down there like nine years, married a Colombian girl. And then he realized, wait a minute, the organization I'm a part of is really bad. And so he repented of his bad missionary ways, is now going to TMS online, and, and, has, and actually moved from the city where he was at to Cali. That's another thing that's crazy, is there's a guy who travels seven hours, I found this out, seven hours every week just to come to church. He lives in another city. And I said, well, like, what, what in the world? Like, why is he coming so far? I mean, that's not really sustainable. And Santi said, he's more involved than a lot of people. And he's planning on selling everything and moving to Cali just so he can be a part of the church. 
And a guy in the Colombian church told me, he said, in Colombia, basically the city you're born is the one you're going to stay in. And he said, I would have never in a million years thought anybody would move to another city just for the church. But yet, even there are, there are several families that we know of now that are living in other cities that are far more than, I mean, they're 10, 12 hours away. And they're saying, we're actively looking for jobs in Cali so we can quit our jobs here, move to Cali to be a part of the church. Which again, growing up in Arkansas in the Bible Belt, I'm like, like this is, it's hard to imagine that this is the case, but it's also hard to imagine living in a, in a city with the population of Arkansas and having one good place to go in the entire state. I mean, Texas is bigger, but it's, like, we can't fathom one good church in three million people. How is that possible? Well, that's the reality there. And so we have, you know, he's, he's been, through his TMS training, he's been getting involved and is kind of serving in a kind of a quasi deacon in training uh, position there. So again, this is Santiago preaching, and, and, and there's just a lot of people coming, and they don't leave, and they're just thrilled to be there, and they want to grow, and, and, um, and they're hungry. Children's ministry, this was in the very beginning. You see like six or seven little kids. I think that's eight, actually, for those of you who count better than me. Uh, and, and so just started off very small, tons of little girls. Santi's boy is that, or Santiago's son is that little boy. And at one point he was the only little boy. And he said, where are all the other little boys? You know, <laughs> it's all like, and they're all like young people. But even, even today, this is the official children's ministry helpers. These are the, the, some of the ladies in the church. Uh, but, but now the children's ministry, like this is, this is the, little, the little kids section now. And it, obviously there's a lot more kids. And um, even, it's just exciting to see that these kids are going to be really the first generation who will spend hopefully their entire lives growing up under sound teaching. And so uh, there's going to be a big emphasis on families and how do we raise up godly families and, and how do we specifically train men? I mean, obviously, if you go to TMS, you always have that ingrained in your head. Train men, train men, train men. So Santi has, has started training men. And there's a group of about, I believe, 30 men already, which is crazy in just a short amount of time, who are waking up, I think, once or twice a month uh, at 6 in the morning to do a Zoom call so they can get to work and everything. And they're doing a Bible study um, uh, for the men. And these guys are excited to be there. And then... This is the older kids. This is the, the first time they ever went to the, uh, the hotel. Um, so there's, I guess, what, eight? Again, not very many. Well, since then, they've now expanded, and there's still now a bunch of them. You'll probably notice, why are they meeting in a hallway? Well, I, I told Frank and Michael that I have a little bit of location coveting going on because one of the big issues that's been going on in Cali is we need a place to meet. That's been a big issue because... They've been meeting in the hotel. Well, after three months of renting the hotel, one day the, the, the hotel came back and said, oh, by the way, this Sunday you can't meet here because we rented it out for another event. And we're like, what? Like, what, what how are you going to do that? I mean, it's been, <laughs> like, we've been re renting this every, every Sunday for three months. And then, so then the next week they said, well, you can have your big room back, but now you're, the, the, kid, the room that you were using, to, you put the kids in, well, that, we've rented that out to someone else. And so they were meeting, in, apparently in this one, they're meeting in a hallway. At one point, they were meeting by the pool. And Santi said, that wasn't really working out because you had people in the hotel pool smoking and swimming. And it was a little distracting for the kids, as you, as you can imagine. So um, it's just kind of been a, an interesting situation there. This is a Wednesday, the Wednesday night prayer meeting, which I'm actually able to participate in somewhat. 
uh, they're going through the book of 1 John. And again, all I see are a bunch of Zoom faces. And, and I don't even know these people now. I mean, I look on Zoom and I'm like, I don't know them. I don't know them. I don't know them. Oh, oh I recognize her. You know, and it's, and it's like, it's kind of an interesting scenario. But they're going through the book of 1 John. And I've been able to preach uh, uh, sometimes on the, uh, a couple times on the book of 1 John. And again, Santi said the response is, it's not just numerical growth, it's also spiritual growth. So people are listening to, the, to 1 John being preached, and they're going, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm a Christian. You know, and, and a lot of people are starting for the first time to evaluate what it truly means to believe, be a believer and saying, I don't, you know, I don't know that that's me. And so, obviously, there's a lot of shepherding opportunities for salvation, evangelistic things, but also for uh, counseling in the sense of, well, what if, if, what if you're struggling with assurance and you actually are a believer because you're too busy focused on your own self and your own struggles rather than focusing on Christ? And so there's just, a, it's, it's, it's raising up a good, uh, I guess, a, a fertile ground to, to be able to talk to them about their salvation and, and things like that. So that's the Wednesday night group. And then uh, I thought this was really amazing. The, this is the marriage ministry that meets once a month, the last Friday of the month. And I'm like, Santi, how many people are there? Because like, this is all the same meeting like, as you're kind of panning across the room. And I was like, wow. Like, oh, whoops. Um, like, that's a ton of people. And this is not like a huge church. And he said, yeah, we have like 66 people. Uh, like, so like almost every married couple in the whole church, it's like marriage ministry, we're doing it. So again, to me, it's just like, wow, like there's this hunger where the people are saying, if you're doing it, we're there because we have gone really our whole lives with no sound teaching and we want it. And so if you're going to come and do a marriage ministry, we'll be there. And he said, right now, the big issue, not a big issue, is that the women are saying, well, hold up. You're doing the men's meeting. You're doing the marriage ministry. When are you going to do something for us? You know, we want, we want to be meeting, and we want to be getting together, and we want to be hearing the word. And he said, I mean, right now I'm just focused on the men because it's just me. You know, so, uh, and, and one of the things that's interesting with the church plant in a culture like this is it's like, you think about something like Titus 2, older women train the younger women. It's like, yeah, but there's not really any older women who are even doctrinally sound, you know, like. So you're kind of in this weird, like, you have to develop, you have to raise up the people so that then they can train other people. Because you can't just be like, hey, train the younger women. Eh, maybe not. Okay, not you, but just tuck that one away and then grow. You know, like, it's, it's so that's kind of the situation. But I'm out of time, but I, I did want to just encourage you guys with that. Um, and because to me, that's really what this is about. It's not about coming here and just saying, um, oh, you know, like, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. You know, it's like, like, to me, what pumps me up is to see what God is doing in the Spanish world and saying, guys, be encouraged. It is a global church, and God is building his church. He hasn't stopped doing that just because the U.S. is losing its mind. He's doing it. He's doing it all over the world, and he's specifically, I think, in a unique way, doing it in the Spanish world. And, and this is an opportunity for some of you guys to, to take part in that. And remember what you said, I'll never be a missionary. I'll never be a missionary. And I, I you know, I think there's a lot of us is, who've said things like, I'll never do this, and it ended up happening. So that was the goal there, is to kind of trap you in your words, and it's not super, you know, honest on the front end. But, you know, you said it, not me. So, um, but that's the goal is, and hopefully, though, that some of you guys would get excited about what God is doing, be encouraged by that, 
and then uh, be praying for us as well. Like I said, we'll be going. My wife does not speak Spanish. I am fluent in Spanish. Um, I learned by speaking, by talking to waiters at a Mexican restaurant in college, like twice a week I'd go and, you know, how do you, how do you say this? How do you say that? And that's not a normal way to learn, but that's how I learned. And, and now I've been speaking Spanish now for half my life. So, and I speak to my kids in Spanish at home um, and they understand, but don't speak because they're lazy and they know that me and my wife understand English. So they respond in English. But um, so be praying for us as we transition uh, in the first of the year. I think it'll be, That'll, it'll be the hardest probably on my wife because she doesn't speak the language. I, my kids, I'm not worried about. Again, they have a strong base. Uh, this picture right here, by the way, is I did officially get ordained by Grace Community Church uh, September 16th. So that was a big moment, like um, being ordained. And I, I don't know if technically that makes me a pastor now or whatever, but um, that was an exciting moment. And that's R Mike Riccardi, who some of you may know, who's been kind of my mentor and friend over the last couple of years. But uh, there is going to be a sign-up sheet for my newsletter. Like, I, I totally blew it and forgot my, my prayer cards that Lalo had. I'm going to have to mail some. But um, there are, well, actually, that's a good thing because we changed our picture and we're going to do new ones. So you, just, I was just thinking for, about you guys. And then there is a newsletter sign-up, though, on the white table out there if you want to sign up and be getting monthly updates for how things are going. Um, so be praying for us in the transition. And uh, actually, Tuesday of this week, uh, Santiago is going to be looking at a house in, um, in Colombia for us to hopefully buy. So, or rent, rent, excuse me, rent. And then, uh, so you better pray about that. And, and for a place for us to meet, like I said, the hotel's not working out and, and we need a place to meet. So that is uh, kind of what we're doing and what's going on. And if you have any more questions, we'll be around. So um, ask us and thank you so much for the opportunity to do this. All right, thanks, Michael. Anybody who speaks Spanish should come up, or Portuguese, and uh, have a conversation with him. I'm, I'm sure he misses uh, not speaking Spanish over the weekend. Um, let me close this in prayer, and then we'll meet back again at 1030. Lord, we do thank you for this day, that we could come together and uh, worship on the Lord's Day in just a few minutes. And we're thankful for uh, missionaries who are willing to go. Thankful for Michael's presentation. Would you pray for them? Help our, our church to get behind such missionaries, support them encourage them, and even while they're here today, let us encourage them before they move here in a couple of months. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.